What's up, guys? My guest today is Craig Hemke of the TF Metals Reports, and this is a fun conversation about why people are missing the narrative on gold ownership, which uh, I enjoyed very much. As always, beneath this piece of content, there is a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I publish every week. I love writing it. It's free. I would love to have you join the team, so hit that link if you want to hear from me once a week. Here is Craig Hemke. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Jay Martin Show, everybody. My guest today is Craig Hemke of the TF Metals Report. Craig, it's great to have you on the show. Jay, what a treat. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. This is fun. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Let's start with, um, you know, the inspiration behind what it is you do. Um, you know, the TF Metals Report is largely a focus on the end of the Keynesian experiment, correct? Yeah. So talk yeah. to me about that. Elaborate on that for me. Oh man, what a long and winding road this is. Um, I, you know, I, I always wanted to be in, you know, finance or the securities industry. I got a degree in economics 35 years ago. And um, I started out as a stockbroker, got all my licenses, you know, all that jazz back in 1990. And uh, was just a retail stockbroker back in the days we'd call, cold call people, you know, and stuff. And yeah. Um, that kind of transitioned into more of what we call a wholesale position where I'd go out, you know, I'd represent like an insurance company or a mutual fund company and go out and tout their products to financial advisors. And, you know, I was just always kind of captured by the system though. You know, you kind of, there's a propaganda might be too strong of a term, Jay, but I, I've come to look at it more as like a financial political media complex that kind of always spins everything positively, you know, okay. for everybody that's got their beak in the trough, you know, for fees and commissions and, uh, you know, uh, brokerage houses and investment banks and, and CNBC and the like. And I, man, I swallowed it hook, line and sinker. And then the financial crisis hit. And at about that same time, I got off the corporate ladder and started my own business, which Jay, something they, they won't teach you in business school. Rule number one, if you think you have enough capital to start your business, no, you don't have enough capital to start your business. I can promise right. you that. <laughs> so I found that out the hard way. So as I'm finding that lesson out, financial crisis hits, and I stumbled across a website called Zero Hedge, which was still in its infancy. Um, when I signed up there, you know, you got to pick a username like you do at my site, TF Metals Report, you know, just some anonymous name. And I picked the name Turd Ferguson, which was an old... Saturday Night Live character, right? Yeah. Oh, well, hell bells. Uh, that, yeah, I, now I'm stuck with it, right? All these years later. Um, I, I just, I've always traded commodities. I started trading commodities when I was in college. And so I had knew a little bit about commodities. I knew a little bit about gold and silver and trading and all that stuff. And so I would comment on that at Zero Hedge. And people, a few people would say, hey, you ought to search your own site just so that I can, you know, always find your opinion, all this stuff. And I thought that was crazy. But I did. My wife told me, to, why not? And so 12 and a half years ago, I started TF Metals Report, the TF being Turd Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here we are 12 years later. I, I joke, Jay, um, precious metal years, you know, like dog years. But they every year you're in the precious metals, it takes like three or four off your life. So 
<laughs> I've really been in it about 40 or 50 years. It's the way it feels. But um, anyway, that's that's how I got here. Yeah. Now, now what is the what is the end of the great Keynesian experiment, Craig? Well, that, you know, that's the thing that's hard to pin down. You know, if it's like um, I, I'm reminded of the old uh, what was it, Hemingway line about how do you go broke, you know, yeah. gradually and all at once. Right. I mean, if you did, I, I remember doing interviews in like 2011 and 12 thinking, yeah, I don't know how we're going to make it another year before this whole thing collapses on itself. You don't you don't know the the point because we've never been here before. You know, where you finally, you know, it's that last, let the last Jenga cube that you, or the rectangle you pull out, you know, you keep pulling them yeah. out and stacking them on everything. And then you don't know which one's finally going to topple it. And that's kind of what the Keynesian experiment is, this debt-based monetary system. It's growing now, you know, and always has grown exponentially, but as it gets bigger and bigger, you know, it just grows, you know, I mean, the exponential growth, the trillions just get grow so fast. And so you, I don't know what the final breaking point is, you know, that is the end of the system, you know, that people call it a reset. And I, I have no idea what, how it all ends. And I don't know exactly what the date is, but the math is the math. And I've got a friend named Brent Johnson who says, if you believe in math and you buy some gold, and that's kind of the crux of what I've always thought was true too. Now, when you talk about those numbers, like, well, I don't know what the U.S., federal debt is right now, um, you know, a few trillion per year deficit adding yeah. to that number. And <laughs> the common narrative around that is like, we're going to saddle the next generation with this debt. They're going to have to pay it back, which is obviously, you know, I'm like, that's never getting paid back. Like, what are you talking about? Right. right so right. what, what do you see as the true impact of that number? And is it even, when you get into, you know, tens of trillions of dollars, you've lost most people and you lost reality. You've lost any yeah. practical semblance of how the world functions, right? So, yeah. you know, what is that today? And what is, if you were to speculate for me, you know, through the balance of this decade, the 2020s, you know, what is the impact of that large sum of owed money? It, it's not so much paying it back, it's servicing it. That's the key part, you know, keep the plate spinning. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and, and in terms of absolute size, man, I remember... Uh, when I was working last year in college, I'm getting my economics degree. I was assigned a book called by Robert Schiller called How Real is the Federal Deficit? I mean, this is when, you know, people were going crazy because Reagan and Congress, you know, were doing $200 billion a year in an annual deficit. Now we do that in a month, right? What was it? $5 trillion in total deficit 15 years ago, and now it's 32 the key to it, though, it's since it's kind of a confidence scheme, the key to it is keeping it current, continuing to make the payments. And that's why, you know, that's why these central bankers are so adamant about always sparking inflation and so fearful of deflation, because in deflation, you're contracting the money supply and you can't can't service all that debt as it continues to compound. And and so. If you can service it, that's what I mean. It maybe it can continue longer than what I expect or had expected, or uh, and you don't know what that breaking point is. But um, it does that does uh, lead into a discussion of where we are with Fed policy and with the precious metals as 2023 begins, because it's it this current situation is analogous to 2010 and to 2019, which were 
recent years where as the year began, uh, you were being told through that, you know, financial media complex that the Fed was going to be hiking rates and they were going to be normalizing their balance sheet, you know, and all this other jazz. And immediately the economy begins to falter in the first half of 2010 and the first half of 2019. And by summertime or fall in 2010, you get another QE program, you get rate cuts and all that jazz. And now here we are in 2023, it's the same thing. Ah, oh, the Fed's going to keep hiking rates. They're, you know, fiscally responsible. They got integrity. Right. Um, when it's obviously economy is faltering again. And that's why um, you don't know exactly all the extraneous things are going to happen as we go through this year. But all things being equal, it's very similar to those other past years. The Fed will make a choice to keep those plates spinning. They'll choose the economy over, you know, what is perceived to be their integrity of, you know, we're going to be hiking rates because they have to. Uh, they have to. Uh, the debt must be serviced. You can't have interest rates go to six, seven, eight percent when now we're already paying $800 billion a year uh, in interest costs. So what are we going to do? Go to 1.5 trillion, spend more on interest than we do on, you know, three times more than what we spend on defense, that sort of thing. So um, this cycle is playing out again. And that is relate this to gold and silver. That's That's really an important thing for people to understand as this year begins. So talk to me then, Craig, why do you own gold and silver? What's your why behind those assets? Well, that, you know, that's a question that I've been asked quite a bit over the, over 12 years. It often begins with, uh, have you ever sold it or will you sell? And, you, and I've, I, you know what, I, I, I can't, I can no longer say I've never sold an ounce because um, guy on my site, I, I uh, Scottsdale Mint makes little one ounce rounds commemorative for my site and a guy couldn't get his hands on any. So I sold him 20 of mine. So I, I've sold silver now <laughs> before. Mm. But usually it's like, well, what are you going to do? Why are you holding it? That, you know, well, why did you buy it in the first place? And why would you ever sell it? Um, the, the simplest answer is that gold as money and sound money for millennia is kind of your lifeboat. Uh, it gets you from point A to point B in the storm because it retains its value. You know, fiat currency or going back to the Roman times, even coinage just gets, becomes depreciating, devalued over time, you know, where they're shaving the edges off the coins to make more coins back into the late Roman empire, that sort of thing. And yeah. obviously people have seen, you know, the charts, the purchasing power, of the dollar since the creation of the federal reserve, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Gold is your ship. It, 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 managed, it, it allows you to convert your accumulated net worth since it's, you know, not really fungible to the extreme that you can use it to buy anything with it. Uh, you know, one for one, like a gram of gold or something. But it's a way. It's a way to protect um, your your accumulated net worth, your financial net worth, as we move from one system to an X. Because invariably, the way this has always worked out, you start out like we did after Bretton Woods with a sound money system of a gold-backed U.S. dollar, and then you end up over here on the other side of the pendulum with completely free, unbacked, you know, nothingness being printed to infinity, and then. The, the economy, the world, your country, whatever, loses confidence in the future value of that, you know, buy more republic kind of stuff. And then the only way you can reestablish confidence is to swing all the way back over to the other side and restart over with sound money. So that's yes. why gold is your ship to navigate, you know, this pendulum swing. Silver, on the other hand, is a two, is a kind of a two-pronged thing. It's the pricing system at this point where we trade futures contracts 
to determine the price and the futures contract, you know, can fluctuate five or 6% in a day like they did, you know, earlier this week. Um, I recognize silver more as an undervalued asset play. It additionally is something that if you've got physical silver on hand and there's ever a, you know, shut down the ATM kind of scenario, I think you can barter with it. You know, uh, you could take a roll of silver eagles and exchange it for a side of beef, you know, or something like that. There's a more fungible value to silver than there is to gold. So I, yeah, in simplest terms, gold protects your well-being and silver protects your ability to buy stuff. Uh, besides being I, what I, I still think is an extraordinary uh, capital gain opportunity. Right. So, you know, specific to gold makes a lot of sense. It's the asset you want to own when the financial system is in transition right? Because yeah. we're departing what has existed. We're going to a question mark. And when you don't know the destination or what the picture might look like, you want to be on the lifeboat, right? I'm going to wait this out. Let you right. figure this out, you know, central banks, governments, geopolitical relationships, et cetera. Uh, and I'm going to wait on the sidelines in a sovereign asset with zero counterparty risk. And that's gold. So mm -hmm. Okay, a couple of questions off that. First of all, why do you think there is that thought and any kind of respect for a sovereign uh, zero county counterparty risk like asset? How come that kind of respect is not common in the West? And let me tell you, like, if I talk to my friends my age, for example, smart, wealthy entrepreneurs, some of them, they can't wrap their mind around why they would park any capital in gold, physical gold. And, yeah. you know, and I think partially it's this mindset that like your money should always be working for you. It should always be doing something, it should be generating yield or achieving a capital gain or hunting for one when sometimes doing nothing is the better option. But, you know, that's not a very um, common thought or philosophy specific to the West. I think it's different in the East. We can talk about that too. But why do you think that is, Craig? Well, I, I think it's fun, Jay. You make that East-West line of demarcation too. I mean, in the East, you know, China, India, whatever, uh, they've had periods, uh, recent periods of great financial and currency upheaval, right? And so you learn from an early age of what really is money. It's not just dollar bills or, you know, what shows up on your bro bank or brokerage statement. It's, you know, mm -hmm. tangible assets. So it's one, it's kind of cultural. Two, I, I think, and, and this gets to uh, something I've discussed a lot over the years, is kind of a recency bias in a sense, or a normalcy bias in that people in the West or specifically, you know, here in the U.S. where I live, uh, you can't imagine a world where the dollar isn't the reserve currency because yeah. it's been that way since 1945. Yeah. And who's even left alive, really? I mean, my dad died a couple of years ago. He was born in 1929, but he didn't okay. really even, wow. was he paying attention at 16 when, you know? Right. So there's, there's no, so it's, there's a real, this gets that normalcy, recency bias. You just, it's really hard to think of something that's never occurred before, or it's really hard to imagine a world where tomorrow is different from yesterday. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just the way it's always been. And so yes. I've always invested all my dollars. I've always kept them all in the bank. I've always kept it in dollars. Uh, you know, my personal 
currency reserves, let's put it that way, are in dollars. I get paid in dollars, I keep it in dollars and everything that's dollar denominated. But you look around the world now and all these central banks outside of the US are taking their, their own uh, sovereign, if you will, currency gold, uh, dollar reserves and they're buying gold. I mean, it's more central bank demand for gold than um, any, you know, that we've seen in 50 years. Yeah. Well, they're based, all they're doing is basically what I've been doing. They're taking, you know, they exact, they do international trade. They get dollars, you know, as a trading vehicle, they are stuck with a pile of them and you can put them in treasuries or whatever, or, you know, you just keep in dollars. Eventually you swap those out for something more tangible gold, which and they're not doing that all of their entire balance sheet that way, which is why as an investor, I don't have every dollar of mine in gold either. But I, I to get to the crux of your question, I think that's the thing. I just don't know if, uh, and it's not just your contemporaries, it's mine too. Um, people just don't think of it. They don't think of, they're not educated enough to think or about history and economic history to understand the role gold has played in the past. Uh, and so they just don't even think about it because they're kind of caught in in today, you know, and there, there's a, a misunderstanding. Jay, I this was now, let me think, when was it, August? I'm at lunch with my 91 year old aunt who is, I mean, she, I mean, like legit shit. Hell, she's sharper than I am at 56. OK, so she ain't no dummy. And we're talking and, and, and we're just kind of having a side conversation lunch. She says, well, you know, she's all invested and, you know, loves Buffett and all this stuff. And I, oh, it's the stuff about gold and all this stuff. When I start talking, she goes, well, but the dollar's backed by gold. And I'm like, that was 50 some odd years ago. And yet, you know, she still thinks because she remembers from, you know, the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s that when it was, and she just assumes it still is. And so huh. there's kind of a disconnect for a lot of people too about what a dollar really is. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, your thoughts about normalcy bias and recency bias, I 100% agree. And it's very rational, right? To believe yeah. that the coming decade will be like the last decade. Like that's right. a rational mm -hmm. thought. It's a very reasonable thought that most of the time will prove correct. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, right? Most of the time. Um, and it is tough. Uh, and you know, here, here's a, like a stigma issue. I'm like personally taken on this is like a mission to try to solve is that often the narrative coming out of the gold sector is very coded in doom and gloom, right? It's like, yeah. to your point, like around 2010, right? There are a lot of very intelligent financial forecasters, investors saying this game's got to end soon, right? Turns out the fed had yeah. more tools in the tool belt yeah. and they probably have more. I mean, just was it last week they announced they're changing the methodology that calculates CPI? Like if you don't <laughs> like the numbers, change the way you qualify them, right? Like it's the oldest trick in the book. It's right. outrageous, uh, but they're doing it. And this will decrease year over year CPI by probably, you know, a couple percents. Like they'll hit the inflation target as a consequence of changing the math. That'll allow them to take their foot off the gas in terms of increasing rates and maybe get back to stimulating sooner than would otherwise be possible because they're not going to hit the inflation target. So it's like, there's always more tricks. There's always more creativity that can be pushed forward and you can kick that can down the road a little bit further. Right. Um, and I, I feel like I want to take this on just because 
like to me, like I, I buy physical gold, you know, I have some physical silver stashed around. There's a hundred ounce shell behind me and, and just a couple of pieces here and there, but you know, it's uh it's like my option on liquidity, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. Like it, it retains yeah. the purchasing power and in a squeeze and whatever black swan event is likely in our future. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want the option on liquidity. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what it does for me. It gives you that like peace of mind and, and sound sleep at night. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And you mentioned the doom and gloom part. Um, I, there's, that's burned a lot of people, you sure. know, that, that I read, you know, on some website that, you know, everything was going to end on X date or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you know, then you've got the, so I'm going to fully move out of whatever into gold or silver or whatever. So, and then that brings with it, of course, an opportunity cost. Right. And it, it, at the end, I guess the way I've always looked at it and try to get people to think of it is really more like an insurance in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, because again, you don't, you don't insure your house against burning it down and then hope the damn thing burns down unless, you know, you're in the mafia or something. Right. Um, yes. You don't insure your car against a car accident and then go out and purposely drive it into a tree. Right. It's just there in case all hell breaks loose so that then you can kind of go, you know, do other things. You know, it's like I mentioned that part of my career where I worked for insurance companies and mutual fund companies. And I was a big advocate of annuities back then, especially for uh, older people that can't really take risk because these annuities would always come with like a rider that would protects you against, you know, losing all your money or massive losses at a time you can't get it. And that rider acted as like guardrails or insurance to give you the courage to go ahead and invest. You know, think of like 2009 when, you know, the S&P was at 700. Nobody, nobody wanted to touch it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were willing to pay an extra 1% in fees for, you know, in some kind of insurance, you know, on how that would do ultimately, then you go ahead and damn pedal the metal, you know, and then the S and P goes to four thousand. Yeah, and so owning gold and gold in particular is kind of like that. You know, it's a you don't want. I mean, I'm gonna I I could go off. I, I was gonna go ah hell I might now that I've stuttered I might as well go off on a tangent. Guy asked <laughs> me on a I do a webinar with my people on my site once a month. Uh, where we all sit around, drink beer, and just talk about what's going on in the world. A guy was all worried about his certificates that he holds in street name, right? What do you do? And I said, well, you know, if the, you know, if there's like an an EMP event, you know, cyber attack sort of thing, I'm like, well, I think you got to bank on that the lights come back on after a short amount of time, and you're not totally wiped out. And if they don't come back on, the last thing you're going to be worried about is the street name security, right? You're going to be worried yeah. about eating, right? Yeah. Staying yeah. warm. Okay. So as, as I relate this back to gold, you don't buy gold and then sit back and go, yes, now I want the world to end. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, unless you're, you know, psychopath, because you don't know what that's going to be like. I know it's, there are changes that are coming. I know monetary history tells me eventually that pendulum is going to swing back over here. And I want to take steps, you know, you prepare for the worst and hope for the best kind of thing. But I don't want to take everything I own and buy gold and then, you know, await for total financial destruction in the hope I'm going to make some kind of profit. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I, hell, Jay, you get me talking. I, <laughs> I don't even know what no. your question was. 
I, I think that's the moderate approach that needs to be heard more frequently because I honestly believe that there are a lot of gold bugs and financial gold bug commentators who are kind of hoping that collapse does occur, right? Yeah. They've made their bets and they'll get paid handsomely in that event. And so it's kind of like, let's join the cheering squad. But that doesn't resonate with the general public because, right. you know, you might, the what's the quote? The pessimist is right. The optimist gets rich, you know? And it's like, that's because, you know, betting long human ingenuity, it's a good bet right? Like we're solutions right. focused species and I'm yeah. long human ingenuity. I also think there's the high probability of unforeseen chaos along the way. And maybe I'm in my thirties. My whole life has been a bull market in terms of access to more or a wider variety of cheaper and cheaper goods. And my quality yeah. of life's just gone up. Like nothing goes straight up forever. There's probably going to be some corrections along the way. And I just want to have some insurance policies in place just in case. I got three kids. I want that, whether it's the optional liquidity, it's the insurance policy, right? It's that, yeah. yeah okay. I just, yeah, I love, I wanted to dive into that with you because I'm trying to figure out how to communicate this narrative in a better way. And, and this has been helpful. I want to, so that's a very defensive strategy, right? We own the physical just in case we don't obsess over it. It's a part of the allocation of the portfolio mm -hmm. as a just in case. And then we stay productive elsewhere. We're playing offense elsewhere, looking for gains elsewhere, building the business elsewhere. Um, where are you playing offense, Craig? Like, where are you looking for opportunity? Where are you looking for gains in the market right now? Are you? Well, there is an offensive capability to your precious metal too. Yeah. Um, because for the history, it will show that after Bretton Woods, the U.S. had 25,000 metric tons of physical gold. That's why, and the only functioning economy. So that's why we got the reserve currency status. Well, you know, a dollar was convertible, you know, or $35 was convertible in one ounce of gold. And so as the world begins trading, you know, an economy, you know, grows around the world again, all of a sudden these, these company, countries get stacks of dollars and they start saying, no, oh, you know, I don't want the dollars, I want the gold. And all of a sudden by the late 50s, the U.S. has already lost a third of its gold through that exchange. So now we decide, well, the heck with that. So we band together with seven countries in the, in the 1960s to form what's called the London gold pool. And we all eight countries work together to feed metal in and take it back out, trying to keep the price at 35. And then that blows up. Cause again, there's not enough gold. Nixon closes the gold window in 1971 because of the great society and the war in Vietnam and there's not enough gold. Well, then they came around and decided, well, we don't want to just, we can't just let it freely float. So we're going to invent all kinds of fake gold and call it good as gold, right? Futures contracts, uh, ETFs, uh, unallocated accounts, all these different things are considered to be like a substitute for the real thing. You know, even Stanley Druckenmiller owns the GLD when he says he owns gold. He doesn't own gold. He owns the GL shares of the GLD. He can't go get, only banks can go get it. Anyway, point is, the pricing scheme um, has taken one ounce of gold and levered it up. Nobody knows how many, how many beneficial owners there are for each individual ounce. And much like the exponential growth and, and kind of scam Ponzi of the U.S. debt and the debt-based monetary system, same thing is true in the global gold price. There are multiple... 10, 20, 100 beneficial owners of each ounce. And the same thing is true in silver. And if, if when the time comes 
that there's a forced deleverage unwind, and Zoltan Posar of Credit Suisse has been writing about that recently, then all of a sudden, what's the price of these things? Okay, so you, we might have a huge potential gain in your in your precious metal outside of you know just this lifeboat in a storm. So there's a really long answer to what was a short question, Jay. There's some offensive, to use your term, capability to own in precious metals anyway. The other part of it is, and and this is a very challenging uh, aspect that uh, I would advise people from getting too caught up in it is owning the mining shares. Um, yeah. Because over, I mean, you can even look at it recently. Go back to 2016, price of gold was $1,400 and the GDXJ was $50, the ETF of junior gold miners. Well, today gold's $1,900 and the GDXJ is 40. Okay, mining is a very capital intensive thing. And nobody, I mean, very, the share is very small market cap and sometimes flows will come in and they'll, whoop, and then it all just drifts away. But that's a way, if you can catch the timing right, if you can catch sentiment right and the trend right in price of the metal, you can have exponential, or not exponential, multiple uh, times uh, earnings growth, your, your growth, um, account growth in the mining shares if you can get the trend of the metal price right. Long term, they're very difficult to own just because, again, they just chew up capital so fast. So well, that's, anyway. the, that's the personal growth when you get the trend wrong. <laughs> you want to, it's like the old joke about how do you turn a million dollars into a hundred thousand dollars? You know, you do it by buying a couple of horses, you know, at the track. That was right. always a joke. How do you, you can also do it by buying a bunch of mining shares. Um, <laughs> I found that out the hard way, believe me. It's an important lesson to learn, right? It's very right. important. I think you got to have some scar tissue because you're right. It's a very high risk business. If you're willing to do the work and put the time yes. in, you can absolutely find those 5X, 20X returns. But that kind of opportunity comes with substantial risk. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, you catch a market at the right time. You feel really smart, really fast. Right. And you're like, this is easy. I've got an edge here. I'll share one thing with you, too, that this is counterintuitive, but. I mean, if anybody's going to be right about something, it's going to be Eric Sprott. Eric Sprott told me once that what most people get wrong in the mining shares is they'll go buy what he does. If I say you buy 10 of them, right? And uh, you put $10,000 in 10 of them just to pull a number out of my rear end. Yeah. And uh, seven or eight of them probably aren't going to work. But you get one or two that do, and it goes from $10,000 to $20,000. And what do you do? You go, oh, yippee. Okay, now... I can take my $10,000 in seed money back. And then I just got, you know, the house money and hopefully it keeps going, right? Sure. Yeah. What a lot of people do. They think that's smart. You know what Eric Sprott told me? So that's the absolute opposite of what you should do. In the mining sector, you get one that works, you double down. Mm. And it, as it keeps going, you put even more money into it. You don't take it out. The only way you're going to, you're going to have all these losers. The only way... You, you, that you're ever going to come out ahead is you keep doubling into the ones that do actually work. And that's not human. It's certainly not my nature. Yeah. But that too makes it uh, a very challenging sector to have long-term profitability. So anyway, back to your yeah. offensive question, there's potential for gains just from the metal themselves outside of some collapse, you know, monetary reset thing. But then also if you can get the trend right, get the macro right and understand where you are, like, where I said where we are versus 2010 or 2019, 
and get ahead of the crowd yeah. in the mining sector, you can make some, some short-term gains there too. That's a really, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's true. I've heard Eric say that. I've heard Ross Beattie say that. I've seen yeah. Rick Rule do that. And yeah. they're essentially averaging up, which <laughs> is- They're worth you, a lot more money than you and I are, you know, Yeah. You and it's, I mean? it's counterintuitive. You want to take your yeah. winnings off the table and then go find some new winners, but you're right. back in the abyss, right? Back in the right. unknown when you found a winner, right? Right. And yes, it's been, I mean, not 10X again from there, but uh, this is a very tough game when you find a winner, stick with it. I like that you mentioned that because it's kind of off the radar and, and honestly not even front and center on my mind. But as you said it, I'm like, oh man, how many legend legends in this business have I seen do exactly that? Yeah. Where you see the press release and it's like, yeah, Eric's brought, bought another tranche at right. the next financing. I'm like, I know he invested eight months ago, so he's going back in at a higher price, right? You know, That's and what he's it's- doing. Uh, that's, That's very- why he has this big, massive jet, and I've got a car I lease. That's <laughs> sure. pretty much how it works. Right. Um, and then just a fascinating comment on the paper market, just worth spending a minute on. I think what you said is, you know, as a consequence of all that as good as gold contracts, right, there is in reality 10 to 20 beneficiary owners of each ounce of gold. Uh and I don't, I, I want to dive into that more. I mean, specifically on my own time and understand the paper market better and the implications of that collapse. Yeah. But anything else you'd elaborate on, on that specific point, Craig? Well, that see that, I guess in a way this gets to, I, I again, 12 years of doing this, I get asked all the time, well, if $1,900 an ounce, you know, we all think it's going to go higher than that. What is the fair price? And I don't, I don't know. Because what's price? Price is yeah. dollars per ounce. Yeah. It's a fraction. And I don't know how many ounces there are. Yeah. You know, it, it, like you look on the COMEX, there's 500,000 contracts of open interest. Each con, now look, not every, don't get me wrong. This is not a COMEX is going to default, all that kind of jazz. That's, but this just gives you an idea of the leverage. There's 500,000 contracts of open interest. Each contract is 100 ounces. Okay. So we're talking there's 50 million ounces of digital gold floating around. What is there, uh, 25 million ounces in the vaults? So what's that, 20 times? Okay. Uh, and that's just one place. Again, uh, how many times levered, uh, how much gold is freely, and, and this is a whole other story, but we talk about the GLD and some of these other ETFs, or talk about some of these unallocated account things. You walk into a Swiss bank, at, or even in Canada, they have banks that sell you certificates. Yeah. Say, well, this is a gold certificate. It's it's as good as gold. Well, is it? Can I get my gold? We'll sign here. You can get it in 60 days. Well, how many of those are floating around out there? So if there ever comes a time and the force on unwind, because all of the metals are the same way. I mean, whether it's gold and silver or it's the industrial metals like copper and zinc and lead and nickel, they all have the same kind of pricing scheme, the same kind of structure where there's a futures price. And then there's a physical location or two where the metal is flowed out at that price to give it legitimacy. Well, the stockpiles, the global stockpiles, and this I wrote about this again in this year's annual forecast, the global stockpiles of all those base metals is just continually going like this. Uh, I saw a thing on zinc yesterday that you know, it used to be 300,000, 300,000 metric tons of zinc in London. There's now 20,000. So what happens if 
one of those markets somewhere runs out of metal. And then people sit back, you know, investors go, well, wait a second. Hmm. I know that's zinc, but maybe that's also like that in copper. Maybe that's also like that in silver. And you get this kind of a bank run, a confidence run where waiting, signing here and waiting 60 days ain't going to cut it. I yeah. want it now, yeah. you know, like an old fashioned bank run that forces an unwind of all that leverage. And that's why I said Zoldan Posar, you know, he's this kind of Fed watcher, interest rate observer, used to be the guy you'd always go to anytime there was like liquidity issues in the in the system. And he since March of last year, and uh, the you know, when the US kicked Russia out of SWIFT and the like, he's been writing about a new Bretton Woods system, how these other countries are going to recognize that, you know, being kind of hostage to this dollar-based system may not be in their best interest long-term. And so he's been writing about that quite a bit, getting a lot of publicity for it. But in his most recent missive at the end of December, he, he, not me, not just dopey old me out here in Kansas. Here, this guy, Zoltan Posar, said that is an ex. This high rehypothecation of all of this physical metal, be it gold, silver, whatever, is an existential threat to the global financial system and the banking system because they've levered all that uh, this huge risk they've taken like then they you know 2008 with all those you know the credit default swaps and all the obligations these banks took on that they couldn't back up and so it's not just me that recognize it it's all out there and so um that leverage of one physical ounce to however many beneficial owners it has um that forced unwind when that day comes is going to be eye-opening and I, you know, I don't know what my gold and silver will be worth at that point but it's probably not going to be $1,900 for gold and $25 for silver well even yeah if we were to speculate there's five beneficiary owners of each ounce and the the, the bank run so to speak occurs on physical and everybody holding a certificate says you know what I think I want delivery yeah. and the world learns quickly that there's only a fifth of the people who thought they owned an ounce actually have an ounce. Right. Um, it's an interesting, uh, and I follow Zoltan's work as well. Uh, fascinating research he's been putting out. Okay, look, um, this has been fun and stimulating. I appreciate you coming on the show, Craig, and chatting with me and getting in front of my audience. Where can I send people? They want to hear more from you. Um, right behind you. This TF Metals report, like I said, is about... 12 and a half years old and it's it's not you know what the zero hedge stuff back in the day was a lot of trading and here's what's going to happen next that kind of thing and i just long time ago i just found that exhausting so the site is more of a community i i i write a report every morning about what's going on in the world i do a podcast every afternoon kind of summarizing everything's happened and we have you know guests and stuff like that so there's a little bit of analysis by me but it's mainly the community itself which is global um and all political stripes and everything else and everybody interacting and kind of realize we're all in the same boat, you know, and sharing links, sharing things they've heard uh, and read. And Hey, did you know this? And I new subscribers to my site all the time are just like, Oh my God, this is like a, you know, a, a, a fort, a, a, a safe Harbor in this storm. Cause there's so many people here that are working together uh, to help each other out. And so that's really what the site is. You can go to TF metals report, Dot com. There's a button to subscribe. It's $15.15 a month. So it's not like it's some outrageous, you know, trading service, a couple thousand dollars a year, but it gives you access to the community. And, I, and again, I 
I'm not trying to like make it sound like what I do is worthless. I hope I think it's some kind of value, but the, the real value is just being on the site uh, and getting to know everybody. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, Craig. Jay, yeah, this has been great fun. Anytime you want to do it again, you just let me know, my friend. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.